0: Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, to set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Father, we thank you uh, for the beauty of what you've done in your church across time and across this globe. We thank you for the the local expression of that that we get to see here at Redemption Hill, and we pray that you would help us to realize that, that this is not just a social grouping of our choosing, but that you have called your people from death to life and brought us together as a family. As we open your word today and continue to read in John's gospel, we pray that you would would stir something inside of us. I pray today that your spirit would move to bring light and life through Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen, amen. Well, today is our last Sunday in the gospel of John for a little while. Um, As you heard, we're going on a sabbatical this summer. Um, I've never had a full sabbatical. This is going to be a three-month sabbatical. I've not had one. I've been in some kind of formal ministry role for 24 years. And so... It might be time. <laughs> um, and so we're going to pause the series in John over the summer, um, and it, this brings us to a natural breakpoint in the Gospel of John. When you get to chapter 12, we're ending chapter 11 today, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. When you get to chapter 12, it turns toward the Passion Week, and so that we're going to pick that up, Lord willing, in September or so. Um, and, but in the meantime, I want to let you know that, that this summer, we have an incredible series planned. It, it's not... I mean, we're, the church continues to meet because this is Jesus' church. It's not dependent on me. Um, and so praise God for that. And this summer, as we walk through, we're gonna have a series that is called Roots and Fruit. I'm gonna uh, introduce that next Sunday, which will be my last Sunday in the pulpit for, as sabbatical begins. And um, pastors Eric and Rich are gonna, are gonna take about half of those Sundays. And for the other half, we're bringing in incredible guest preachers. And so next Sunday, you'll hear all about what the plans are for the summer, but it's going to be great. Um, it, as we come in today, we're in chapter 11 of John, and in this passage, we've been looking at the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. And so we started looking at this on Easter Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and on, in the first section, we saw Jesus interact with Martha. Martha. Lazarus's sister, as he came toward the place that Lazarus had died on the road, and so as um, as as, Jesus, as Martha came out to Jesus, Jesus said to her, the big moment was he said, "I am the resurrection and the life," and he asked her, "Do you believe this?" And so we saw the importance in the midst of grief of seeing and understanding who Jesus is and what He offers to us in resurrection and life. Then last week, we looked at Jesus' interaction with Mary, because Martha went and grabbed her sister Mary and said, hey, the teacher is here, and he's asked for you. And so she pulled her sister out, and and as Mary came into Jesus' presence, Jesus wept with Mary. So we were able to see that Jesus meets us in our sorrow, in our grief. And today, we see Jesus go to the tomb. We've seen him interact with Martha and Mary, two of the siblings, and today, We see him interact with Lazarus, which sounds strange, because Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so this is what we read, starting in verse 38. Jesus, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, "'Come out!' "'The man who had died came out. "'His hands and his feet bound with linen strips "'and his face wrapped with a cloth. "'And Jesus said to them, "'Unbind him and let him go. "'Many of the Jews, therefore, "'who had come with Mary "'and had seen what he did, believed in him. "'But some of them went to the Pharisees "'and told them what Jesus had done. "'And so the chief priests and the Pharisees "'gathered the council and said, "'What are we to do?' being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right? I know I just said that we were going to the end of the chapter, and I stopped a few verses short. The reason is because the narrative break actually comes between these verses, so it picks up with now at the Passover, so that jumps to the next story. The, we believe that the text is the verbally inspired word of God, but the numbering is not. <laughs> um, so... With this passage that we see, though, what, I mean, this is an incredible passage, right? An incredible story. Now, if you've heard this story before, even on Easter Sunday, you knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from death to life. You knew Jesus was going to call him out of the tomb. But today, we finally get to it. We've already seen Jesus meet Martha and Mary in their sorrow and in the uncertainty, the same uncertainty we live in with death as a shadow over us. But now what we see is that Jesus calls us to live. He calls us to life. And so we're going to look today at living in the power of the resurrection. What does it mean to live in the power of the resurrection? Because the resurrection of Jesus impacts our lives now. I don't think we often live like it. I think functionally, we, if, if, even if, if you're a Christian, then you believe that Jesus was God incarnate, that he lived, that he died, that he was raised to life, and that he not, even now lives and reigns from in, in the throne in, the, in heaven. And so we, we believe those things, and, but, but functionally, I think we look at it as a past event, which is true. It's a past event that was historical that we can base our faith on. We often just leave it there. Just like Martha and Mary. Remember, Jesus asked, said to Martha, um, he said, your brother will rise again. And Martha responded, I know he will at the resurrection on the last day. And we think similarly, but, but the resurrection of Jesus comes into life now. The theologian Don Carson said perhaps the greatest transformation Jesus performed was to move the doctrine of the resurrection out of the future and into the present. Lazarus is just a foretaste of God's power. It looked ahead to the ultimate resurrection that was coming in Jesus. Lazarus is going to die again. Jesus Conquer death for all time. And so what we're promised is, is what, what he promised Martha, believe and you will see the glory of God. And so we can live in light of the resurrection now, especially because it's historic reality. We can look back, we can have comfort for our souls for the future, but it makes a difference now. And so it, it, what we're going to look at today is how the resurrection makes a difference in life and what it means for us. And my hope is that those of you who are Christians that that you'll get woken up a little bit today. Um, Pastor Rich just talked about revival, and one of the the characteristics of revival that have been seen through history always starts within the church because sleepy Christians wake up, and then the Holy Spirit moves within those who think they're Christians and brings them to actual salvation. And so it begins with repentance within the church, and then people outside of the church are brought to faith as well. And so today, I have no question in my mind that all three of those categories are sitting here, that you fall into one of those, that maybe you're just a little bit sleepy and it's time for you to wake up. Maybe you're here and, and you're, you think you're a Christian, you've been around the church, but you know there's no spark inside. My hope is that, that God will move in your heart today. And for those of you who aren't Christians, who aren't following Jesus, my hope is that you'll see the beauty of what he's done. And so today, there's, there's three points that Jesus... Has commands that he gives people. There's four actual commands, but three places where he does it. He starts by saying, Take away the stone. Then he says, Lazarus, come out. And then he says, Unbind him and let him go. Those three commands are coming to us today as well. Let me show you how. First, take away the stone. Now, Jesus here, you notice he doesn't call Lazarus to move the stone. (laughs) Lazarus has been dead four days. You got to love Martha's practicality here too, right? When Martha when Jesus says, "Hey, take away the stone." And Martha's like, "Ah. He's been in there 4 days. This isn't going to go well. There's going to be some kind of odor, Jesus." Now at this point, and we talked about this last week, that you remember that that there was a belief among many that we can even read about in rabbinic literature at this time that there, there was a belief that the soul stayed with the body about three days until the body started to turn toward decomposition, and then the soul would depart. And so here, Lazarus had been in four days. De- decomposition would have set in in his body, and I think that's part of Jesus' delay that we read about, that he stayed an extra two days where he was because he wanted people to know that Lazarus was not just asleep in the tomb, the man was dead, And so Jesus got others to roll away the stone. You'll notice also, so he didn't didn't call Lazarus awake and then say, move your own stone, Lazarus. He didn't also go on his own and move the stone. Instead, he used others to fulfill that need, and, and he made that command. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, said here, Jesus employed others in the rolling away of the stone. You cannot make the dead live, but you can take the stone away from the mouth of their sepulcher. So let's speak of, the, of certain stones which we should with all diligence remove. Do you understand what he's saying? None of us can make someone's heart change. None of us can make somebody's heart come alive in Christ. Jesus can. His voice can. But he uses people as his instruments to make it possible for his voice to come through. And so I'm going to borrow heavily from Spurgeon in, in this first section. A lot of, we're going to talk briefly about the stones that we can roll away to help allow the voice of Jesus to come into people's lives, to call them to life, because God uses his people to take stones away from tombs. And One stone would be ignorance. And some people just don't actually know the story of Jesus. Many people don't. You might think they know what Christianity is, know some of the ethical implications, but not know what, actual, what the actual claims of Christianity are, not know the story of what God has done. That is an easy stone to remove in somebody's life, right? How can you help remove that stone? Tell them. One of you got it. We just did a survey in our church um, we, a, gr- a group of our members are leading a team that's doing a, a time of prayer and discernment with a, an organization called Sacred Spaces. And as part of that, we sent out a survey that people could respond to. I think we had just under 70 responses. So it was like 66 responses or something. Um, and I was um, interested. I'll I'm choose a very neutral term. Interested to see that somewhere around 20 to 25% of the people who responded to the survey, members, leaders, non-members, um, it, there was a question about how often have you invited someone to a community group, an, an event, a worship service, to, be a, to interact with your church family. And there was at least 20% that said, never. There is a real easy thing that we can do to help make it possible for people to hear God's voice in their lives, and that's simply to tell them the story. And then if your church community can come around and help you, we, we, there's a lot of different gifts in this body. So that's one, is a stone of ignorance. Another stone is, is error in belief, that there's all kinds of things that people f- believe wrongly. And, and this happens within the church, where, where people will be spiritually dead because they're pursuing something that isn't actually what God has called us to. And so we can help share and declare the grace and truth of the gospel to correct those doctrinal errors, it might just be like a prejudice against Christianity, that, that, it, that people just think, I don't want any of that, because you, they know the things they would have to give up in their lives, and that's a really difficult stone to roll away, because Christianity is not primarily about an ethic, it's not primarily about what we do, because none of us can earn our way into God's favor, it's all about the finished work of Jesus, but then there are implications for our lives, and so the, the only hope we have for a stone of prejudice against, against faith because of its implications for life is joy, because joy gets contagious, and you can tempt them to Jesus by telling how sweet your experience is of him. For some, there might be a stone that religion is pure sentiment, that Christianity is nothing other than an emotional experience, but we can engage with our minds to show that it is reasonable. It could be solitariness, like Lazarus. Lazarus was alone in the dark, unseen, unknown, not unloved here, but some of you feel unseen, unknown, and unloved. You were asked to look around at each other just a few minutes ago. I don't ever want someone to come into any worship service or gathering or community group or anything that our church does and get away without knowing that someone sees them and loves them. For some, it's a stone that they, some of you might feel like you're an outcast. There's some reason that you've messed up, you've fallen. So people get looked at with uh, like lepers, and and but but Spurgeon said here that those whom the world calls lepers and drives away into contempt, it is our glory to restore. And so, if that's you, I want you to hear. One of the songs we sing says, "Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power." Some of you are in a valley of despair. It's dark. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. And for us to come alongside people, meet them in it, speak the promises of God into the midst of it, show that Jesus is the good shepherd who can lead us through. But don't dismiss somebody's despair or depression. In our city and in our nation right now, one of the stones that we have to work to remove is an obsession with earthly kingdoms, too often Christianity has been politicized and so that you're, you're told that Christians must vote one way or another and it, it makes an ugly, ugly version of a pseudo-Christianity because, because we need to remind people, no, we have one king and there's freedom to be a sojourner in an exile here and we don't need to be ruled by political parties as we engage in politics. And so we could talk about so many more, but when Jesus said to, said to his followers, to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, he knew that we don't have the power to change hearts. He knew that none of us has the ability to make someone a disciple, but, and we don't have the power to call the dead to life, but we do have the power to remove real stones in people's lives that seal them in dark tombs, and with hope the reason we would do so is with the hope that that they might hear the voice of Jesus calling to them, come out. And so my hope today, even in in talking through a few of these, is that for some of you, there might be one of those stones that you know is sealing you in, and that even being here today, there might have been some help to crack it open so that the light and voice of Jesus can come in. Because Jesus will call the people, come out. And so... For everyone who follows Jesus, this is our story, that someone in our lives came along and moved stones aside so that we could hear the voice of Jesus and come to life. Next that gets to the second commandment that Jesus gives here. So living in the power of the resurrection means we can help take away stones that seal others in their tombs. The second command he gives, though, is Lazarus, come out. This is, there there are stories in scripture, I mean, all of it is God's word. I love every bit of it, but there are certain moments in scripture that I wish that I could see. Like, I hope when we, if we get into eternity, there's like a heavenly theater. (laughs) that we can just go and watch it and and watch what happened in people's expressions because this is one of them, that a guy's been dead for four days. Jesus has unrolled the stone. Everybody's going like, this is not a good idea. And then he just says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and here comes Lazarus. (laughs) Like, not just, I mean, this wasn't a zombie. He actually called him back to life. And, and so, this is the voice of Jesus that comes to us, that breaks through into the darkness, that breaks through death itself. And this is what we read. Ephesians chapter 2 captures this when it tells us, You were dead in the trespasses, in sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's pretty bleak, right? You got to back up a slide because we're not going there yet. All right. (laughs) We're going to sit in the darkness for a few minutes that's pretty bleak. See, the way that our condition, apart from Jesus, is described in Scripture is not just ignorance of truth. It's not just disagreement with doctrine. It's not just disagreement and diversion from a moral ethic. It's not just uh, that, we're, that we that it hasn't become real enough in our lives. The, the statement of Scripture, the statement that we see over and over again, is: "You were dead. Why? Well, you, in your own trespasses and sins, you walked in that. Your disobedience. You lived out of the passions of your flesh." We didn't know anything but darkness. But the voice of God breaks through. Just like Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. It goes on now in Ephesians chapter 2 to say, but God... being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is the the greatest change in, in story that exists, and it's the promise to us. You notice there that it doesn't say, but you woke yourself up so that you could see the glory of Jesus. The actor in our salvation is God calling us from death to life. That's what it means to need a savior, is that that we don't have any capability on our own to change our condition, but God, being rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, because of the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead made us alive. And how do we know that's true? That's true. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what we have the promise of, that we see the power of in the story of Lazarus. That Jesus' voice comes to us and calls us, come out of the grave, come out of this spiritual condition of death into life. And there's a promise that is future, that's true. The promise that we will be seated with Christ in the coming ages, that we would have the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness to us, that we have a share in the inheritance in the kingdom of light. All of those promises are true. But the resurrection power of Jesus and the spiritual awakening that happens in us. Us when we actually hear his voice is not limited to the future it infuses our lives now and this is the promise we have it's God's work it's by grace and he calls us to good works Ephesians 2 goes on to talk about how this work that God is doing, just like John talks about in, the, in John 11, that it, it brings together people that are, are near to God and far off, that it, it crosses barriers so that Jew and Gentile together were brought together. It breaks down dividing walls of hostility that exist, that are man made creations that keep us divided from each other, that they're obliterated at the cross. We don't lose who we are, but, but we are washed clean and brought together as a tapestry that is made more beautiful, the more diverse it gets. And so this is the, the beauty of what, the, what happens at the cross and in the resurrection. And, and even Caiaphas here, the high priest, and I love this, that John tells us this in chapter 11, Caiaphas prophesied. Caiaphas is the one responsible for killing Jesus, I mean, Pilate ultimately, but it was Caiaphas who pursued it. It was Caiaphas who who had him arrested. It was Caiaphas who questioned him in an illegal trial overnight. So Caiaphas is the one that killed him, and still, I love that John even defers to God's structures of the priesthood in the temple and says, hey, he was the high priest that year and God spoke through him. It is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to suffer. Caiaphas just didn't realize that he would be the instrument in that one man's death. And that it was not just, and that's what I love. John says that he didn't say this of his own accord, but it was not just for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so some of you need this today. There are times when, as Christians, and I I do this at times, when even if you're following Jesus, that that you, you know that Jesus was raised from death to life, but you fall into a poverty theology believing that if you're not suffering, then God's not making you holy. And so we can live a joyless existence because we're always, trying to, we're always fixated on, on our, the ways that we feel dead and it feels cold and it feels dark and it feels lonely. So you might need to hear today, Jesus is calling to you, come out of the tomb. You don't have to stay in there anymore. Come out into the warmth and the light. Come out and and realize the people that are gathered around that that love you and are trying to take the stones away so you can hear Christ's voice. Come out of the grave. If you're not a Christian, this is my prayer for you today is that you would hear Jesus' voice saying, come out of the grave. That Where you feel spiritually dead and numb, there would be life breathed as you hear God's word today. The third command that Jesus gives, because Lazarus comes out, and the man who di- so the man who died came out, and it, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This one command, there's so much packed into this one command, Now, it's not surprising that Lazarus was bound. This is what would happen, that bodies would be bound up in these cloths, these linen cloths, and packed with spice, up to 75 pounds of different spices, and then laid in the tomb. The reason for the spices was because of the odor that Martha was concerned about. And so Lazarus would have been packed with spices and wrapped up his... He was like... I don't know how he got out of the tomb, right? Because his hands and feet were bound... And so I, when we were, when I used to do youth ministry, we'd have this game where you would wrap somebody up with toilet paper and try to make them a mummy. Um, I don't know how you win that game. It's, I think most youth ministry games were just to like, be, so that we could laugh while we watched them. Um, but it, but it, it, I picture that, that you, you have somebody that's, that's just completely wrapped up. He can't, and, and what that means is that as Lazarus comes out, he's got breath in his lungs His heart is beating, blood is pumping through his veins, like he is physically alive. His mind is awakened. He has re inhabited his body, and his body has somehow been restored. And so Jesus called him truly from death to life, but Lazarus isn't living freely yet. He was bound up by his grave clothes. His senses were bound, so he couldn't, he couldn't see Jesus yet. He had a cloth that was over his face and his hands were bound, so he couldn't even use his hands to get rid of it. His he couldn't touch Jesus. He couldn't see him. He couldn't see the others that loved him, that were gathered together and mourning his death, because the linen that wrapped his dead body was still clinging to him. And this is my and this is where I, I, I wanted to leave the most time for this because this is where I'm concerned that most of us live. That Jesus has called us from death to life. We know that. Something in our soul leaps when we, when we... And there's moments where it feels like we know that more truly, where it feel, we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's when we sing together. Or maybe it's as you hear the word preached or when we pray together or when you're in community group together. But there will be moments where you're, you're reassured that Jesus really is with you, that God is guiding you. And so we have been made alive in Christ. You have heard the voice of our Savior. You have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, like Martha was called to... And you have walked out of the grave looking for him, and yet you're still tangled up in the sin that made you dead. You can't see clearly in your life because a veil remains over your face. You can't walk with freedom, where we're called so, many, so often in the New Testament to walk in light of our calling, but you can't walk with freedom because your legs are bound. You can't reach out and touch or feel someone's touch because your hands are bound. We live our lives too entangled in the grave clothes of our own flesh. And we are unable to untangle ourselves. You're not going to work this out on your own. Jesus didn't call us to a purely personal faith that we try to live out in isolation. Like we, don't, we don't believe that that's the Christian life. We don't see any evidence that that's the Christian life. But so often our relationship with God is something we keep personal. And so we only talk when we talk about like, I'm feeling spiritual dry, spiritually dry, and so here's the things I've tried. Well, usually the things we're, we've tried are all on our own. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to read my Bible, but I, I just can't get through it. It's, it's not coming to life for me. Like, yeah, if you're sitting alone and trying to read Lamentations, you're not going to be in a great spot. Ah, my prayer life just is dry. I can't focus. Yeah, because you haven't built those muscles because you're trying to do it all alone. You're tangled up and you can't see, and, 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 and so this is so often the case that, that we, we don't realize that we are unable to unbind ourselves. We are unable to break through ourselves, unable to experience the life and the freedom that Jesus has called us to because we can't get out on our own. I remember when I was real little, gosh, I must have been like three or four because my arms weren't long. I mean, this going to make sense. <laughs> when, when I was really little, I can remember my great-grandpa I thought it was hilarious because I was blessed to know my great-grandpa, and his name was Bill, and so he, I, was, he, I remember that he used to put a paper grocery bag over my head and say, punch your way out of it, and as a kid, you've got like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms and a giant head, And so I can remember just being so frustrated of like, but my arms weren't long enough to break through and so I was punching and punching and punching and I couldn't break through the bag and he just thought it was hilarious. Which looking back, I would too. (laughs) Functionally, that's how too many of us live spiritually. It's dark and it's scary and you're punching as hard as you can and you don't know why you're not making any progress. And to make it worse, Religion and religious people have a tendency to be obsessed with rebinding people as soon as they experience some freedom. That's exactly what we see here. Jesus raised a man from death to life, and many believed in him, but what did the others do? They snitched. I mean, he's less than two miles away from Jerusalem, And they ran to Jerusalem and told Caiaphas, he just raised a guy from the dead. And the response was not, glory be to God. That's amazing. We've got to meet him and talk to him about this. That has never happened before. The response was fear about what might happen and pride in position that they might lose their authority and their place and their power. Do you see what they said In verse 47, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were more concerned with the structures and systems that propped them up than they were about seeing the power of God working right in front of their eyes. But as if we're followers of Jesus, we have a holy responsibility to set people free from the things that bind them. Jesus wasn't the one that went up to Lazarus and started taking all those clothes off. He asked, he commanded his people, who he was with, who believed in him, to, to do that in his place. And we are called by Jesus, go and help people be unbound and set free. Because when Jesus calls us from death to life, others will help us to peel those things away. And so much in the New Testament shows exactly that. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told, listen, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So let's lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that's what we're called to, but you can't do it alone. And this is what we're called to together. Together is to be together, helping to set each other free of the things that bind us up. And so I think there are some binding grave clothes, too, that I want to talk through quickly. For some of you, you have a, f- you have a fear of falling from grace. You're scared to make- that you're making God mad, and so you live in a constant fear of God that isn't a healthy reverence and honor, but it's a- that you feel like if you do the wrong thing, he's going to hit the zap button. You need to hear today, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't think you heard it if that's where you're stuck today. Because the grave clothes that you're wearing keep your eyes shut and your ears closed. You need to hear, you will never fall from grace if God has you. Jesus said in John 6 that nothing will be taken from his hand. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Be free. Some of you are bound up by old habits. You're following Jesus. You've heard his voice call to you, but there's stuff that you still do, and you get frustrated, and you've vowed to God, I'm never going to do that again. And then the next week comes, and you do it again. In the language that we hear throughout Scripture, and in Colossians 3 in particular, it talks about, about putting to death our flesh and the things that we fall into habitually, but it says put on then as God's chosen people, holy and loved, and it talks about compassion and kindness. So what, that's the imagery that, that we've got to take off the grave clothes and put on the new clothes that Jesus has given us. So you're never going to conquer that bad habit just by feeling bad about it. You're gonna conquer that bad habit by allowing the spirit to work through you and to put on a whole new way of living. For some of it, it's religiosity, that you're, you, think, you know that you're saved by grace, but you think you're sanctified by works. This is what Paul, why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatian church, is he said exactly that. Do you think that, that after being saved by grace, this is what you turn to next? And in, in Galatia, people were binding Christian consciences with old covenant law and requiring circumcision. And so Paul confronted Peter about that to his face for the racial divides that were in, 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 coming into the church. And the response was, We've been, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and we're not submitting to the law again. For some of you, it's legalism and moralism that, that you hold over others, that you, you wanna dictate other people's sanctification Go read Romans 14 today and see when we read about how we're to handle things that are gray areas that aren't black and white, sin or not, and we're told that people have a judge. We don't need to sit in that seat. For others, it's a bound conscience. We can't bind people's consciences in issues that are truly Christian freedom, or it could be that you're afraid that you won't fit in in the church. We need to remember that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And he came so that, not. and he said, it's not the healthy unity, do, a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to save the righteous, but the sinner, call the sinners to repentance. So if you're a sinner, Jesus has come for you. As we're unbound, though, as we help each other take off those grave clothes, we're going to experience communion with Christ more sweetly. We'll experience the communion of God's people more freely. Lazarus, I love this, in chapter 11, or in chapter 12, what we're going to get to hopefully sometime in September, is, is that, uh, that Lazarus, we read that he, was, he then went and was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table when Jesus got anointed. So Lazarus comes out of the grave. Other people take off the grave clothes from him. and What does he do? He goes and eats a meal with Jesus. It's one of the first things he does. The same thing, I mean, he, the guy hadn't eaten in four days. That's the same thing. I love that when Jesus was ra- raised from the dead and he shows up to the disciples, and that's one of the first things he says. He's like, he, he, I mean, they're in a locked room and he somehow shows up in the middle of it. It was like Jesus was just messing with people and he, and he was with his disciples, but he's like, hey, I'm, I'm here, and can I, do you have anything to eat? but Lazarus is reclining with Jesus at the table but, but but he couldn't have seen him and touched him and eaten that meal with him if he was still bound up in his grave clothes and and the beautiful thing about this again is that what has Lazarus done so far he he shuffled he died <laughs> and then he shuffled his way out of the grave Jesus used other people to remove the stone So that he could hear his voice. Jesus is the one that called him out of the tomb from death to life. And then he used other people to take the grave clothes off so that Lazarus could see who Jesus is more clearly, hear his voice more clearly, eat with him and spend time with him and with the others at the table. All Lazarus did was get up and shuffle out of the tomb. And so if, if, when, if you're feeling overwhelmed about what it means to follow Christ or you, you're unsure about what it means to follow Jesus, like, all you have to do is, if you hear his voice is start by shuffling out of the tomb. That's faith, Is responding in faith. And God will use other people to remove the stones in your life that keep you from hearing God's voice. He'll use other people to take those grave clothes off of you. And Jesus here, again, this is just showing a glimpse, a glimmer, like if any of none of us have ever seen something like this truly happen. And this is just a glimpse of what was happening because Jesus then is the true and greater Lazarus. He went to the grave and he was wrapped in linen and, and packed with aromatic spices. But on the third day, the amazing thing with Jesus is, is that he didn't need anyone to come and move that stone for him. Jesus didn't need anyone to call him out he, he, because life conquered death through him. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, do you remember that they found his grave clothes, but they were folded up neatly and left in the place where he had been, his body had been laid. Why? Because Jesus left death behind It was no match for him. Light conquered darkness because darkness could not overcome it. So on the third day, Jesus rose from death to life and he wasn't dressed for a funeral anymore. He emerged dressed for a wedding. As As the bridegroom ready to call people from every nation and tribe and tongue to himself in this beautiful image that we have of what the church is that he is calling us to himself so that we can meet him at the great wedding feast of the lamb in eternity he's the one that conquered death and then calls us to live and so this is what we can do with e- for each other and what we can at- help lean into and trust that God will use others to do for us is, is that, that we, need, we need to help people remove the stones that keep them from hearing Jesus' voice and trust that others can do the same for us. That as we hear the voice of Jesus and he says, and he might be saying to some of you today, come out. It's time to live. You've been laying in, laying in the grave long enough. Like, it's time. Stand up. And as we come out of the tomb, we need other people around us, and we have a responsibility to each other to help unwrap the grave clothes that are still clinging to every one of us that, so that we can actually walk in freedom and life. So thank God that Lazarus was raised from the dead. And thank God that Jesus finished the work for all time. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that your voice would break through, Lord Jesus. I pray right now that for for some who are, are hearing this and hearing your word, that even this morning some stones have been rolled back so they could hear your voice. I pray that you would give confidence if people hear your voice today for them to stand up, to follow it, to come closer to it. I pray today that that you would help us to leave our grave clothes behind and that you would help us to be a part of freeing each other Lord, give us the compassion and love and grace that we see the opportunity to gently unbind our brothers and sisters. Forgive us for the times when we we put those things back on ourselves and back on other people, but would you help us to, as a church family to, to be a community of grace and truth that that actively works to help people to live and walk in freedom. And so today, Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we, we lift our hearts to you. We love you and we're grateful that, that you are the one who has conquered death. Amen.